I think this is a, a, a very rare and, and special gift that, that we have um, to be able to hear from, uh, from someone like our, our brother. And so um, we certainly wouldn't consider ourselves to be monsters, right? And, but that's a perception, and we have a, a certain perception as well. And so um, I would really encourage you, after uh, we finish here, uh, we're going to have some time to, to fellowship in our cafe. And then um, at the conclusion of that time, after you know, a little bit of doing that, we'll come back in here maybe about uh, 12.45 or, or 1 o'clock, and uh, we'll invite our brother and sister back up uh, to share a little bit. And so, um, especially if you were not here last night, really want to encourage you to, to come and, 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 and find out what's going on uh, from an insider perspective, someone who's been there, who lives amongst the people, uh, to see is what I've been hearing real or what are the things, how can I be better informed in order that I can more effectively pray and have a burden for the people who are so close to the heart of God. Um, so, yeah, please do uh, make note of that amazing opportunity uh, and, and do come out for that. Um, for those who are going on our youth retreat, we'll be leaving around 2 o'clock, so if you do want to come in and, and, and hear as much of that as you can, that'll be, uh, that'd be cool, right? Yeah, so uh, that'll be awesome. Kind of feels uh, weird to shift gears uh, into what I'm going to talk about now, but... Uh, this is what I had planned to talk about. So I'm going to talk about uh, one of my favorite books growing up as a little kid uh, was a series called Amelia Bedelia. Does anyone know Amelia Bedelia? Yeah, okay, good, good, good. Amelia Bedelia is a, a silly lady, um, silly lady. She seems almost um, mentally too young for, uh, for her age, but she's the, the, the beauty of these stories is it's very funny, but she's always getting herself into these misunderstandings that get her into big trouble. So my favorite of the Amelia Bedelia's, I think it's called Amelia Bedelia Plays Ball. It's where she's playing baseball. Um, she never played baseball before, ever in her life. Uh, but there's this group of people, and they've got a team, and one of their players gets sick, and so they ask Amelia Bedelia to come play. And so um, the best part of the book, the uh, best part of the story is it's the end of the game, and it's the last inning, and their team is losing. And no one, th- no one has, a, uh, has any thought that there's a chance that their team is going to win because the last player to bat is Amelia Bedelia. <laughs> They're like, oh, my gosh. And the players are, like, hoping against hope that somehow something is going to happen. And so here's two strikes. She hits the ball, and they're like, run, Amelia Bedelia, run. And she makes it safely to first base, and they're so excited about it. And then they tell her, Amelia Bedelia, steal second base, steal second base. And so in her mind, she's never played baseball before. And so she runs to second base, and she takes the second base out of the ground. And they're like, she's like, where do I go now? They're like, go to third, steal third base, steal third base. And so she runs to third base, and she uproots it out of the ground. They're like, what do I do? They're like, run home, Amelia Bedelia, run home. And so she's running to her house. She's like, what a weird game. I thought I was doing pretty well, but they tell me to go home. And this is what Amelia Bedelia is like. All kinds of misunderstandings about life, about baseball, about home life, about all kinds of different things. And it gets her into a lot of trouble because she has all of these misunderstandings about life. It's a very comical thing because the stakes are low because it's a story and it has nothing to do with us. Have you ever gotten into trouble, though, because of a misunderstanding? You ever got into trouble because you thought something was supposed to be one way, but it ended up being something completely other? A lot of times, a lot of people who grow up going to church get into trouble because they have misunderstandings about the faith that we embrace as Christians. 
There's a lot of people who think, hey, you know what? If I become a Christian, then here's how life ought to go. Every prayer that I pray, God ought to answer. Everything that I wish for ought to be given to me. I should be healthy, wealthy, wise, live a happy, peaceful, stress-free, uh, life free of suffering, and then I die and I go to heaven. A lot of people believe that about Christianity because maybe it's what, what we've been taught. Maybe it's just what we have, this, this perception that we have. But it's a misunderstanding that unless that gets corrected, it's going to lead to a lot of trouble when it comes to our relationship with God. In fact, what's going to happen is rather than us thinking it's a misunderstanding, we're going to think there's something wrong with God. And unless we clarify these misunderstandings, it becomes very simple and very easy for us to abandon the God that we thought we grew up believing in because we don't have the full picture of what faith is supposed to be. So today what I want to do is look at the last section of the chapter of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, the last section in the hall of faith, and try and clarify some of the misunderstandings that we might have about faith and about God and about Scripture. Hebrews 11, we're going to read verses 32 through uh, 40. This is equal parts inspiring and equal parts sobering, equal parts comforting, as well as equal parts challenging in the deepest of ways. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses 32 through 40. This is God's word. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. But others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. This is God's word. Uh, The first uh, maybe one, two, three and a half verses of this passage uh, get me riled up. (laughs) I'm ready to go to the ends of the earth for the gospel. Let's go conquer kingdoms for Christ. And then you get to the middle of verse 35 and the tenor and the voice and the perspective begins to change. And it's almost like, I wish these next verses were not included in the Christian scripture. Because if it were not included, it would make Christianity a whole lot easier, at least according to what we would have read thus far in Hebrews 11. What are we talking about? I want to bring out three things about faith this week and then next week is the last week. We're going to kind of wrap all of these things up. But what are we seeing here? Three thoughts about faith and I want to help us to to see a, a little bit more holistic picture. The first thing is that faith believes that God can do miracles 
Faith believes that God can do the impossible even through flawed people. Faith believes that God can do the impossible even through flawed people. Again, what more shall I say? So he, he's been going on for about 31 verses here, and he's like a preacher. <laughs> a preacher gets the end of the sermon and says, oh, I could go on and on. I don't have time. I'm running out of time, so I'm just going to highlight these things instead of going deep. I, I'm sure if he had time, if he had space for whatever reason, uh, he says, I do not have time. But had he had the time, he could have written volumes and volumes and volumes and chapters, so many more verses about what faith did and what faith accomplished. But he says here, I, I don't have time, so let me just highlight a few things here. And he goes on and he talks about, listen to some of these things. Through faith, they conquered kingdoms. That's awesome, right? Wouldn't you want to conquer a kingdom? Wouldn't you want to administer justice? Not that, not that big a deal. Gain what was promised. That's cool. But check this out. Who shut the mouths of lions? Like, that's crazy. He's talking about Daniel in the lion's den. You remember this, right? The, the lions eat everything, but they don't eat Daniel. It's crazy. They, uh, where is it? Quench the fury of the flames, right? You're, you're about to get thrown into the fire. It's heated up seven times hotter than it ought to be. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Babylon, and Daniel. And yet, the flames don't burn them up. They quench the fury of the flames. They escape the edge of the sword, right? You're about to get killed with the spear, and then somehow, miraculously, you're spared from it. Crazy stuff, amazing stuff, whose Weakness became strength, turned to strength, became powerful in battle, routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead. So you're a woman and you've got a dead son, a dead husband, and they're brought back to life, raised to life again. That's crazy stuff. These are the kinds of things that oftentimes we think faith accomplishes, isn't it? Man, if I have faith to move the mountains, I have faith. If we just have enough faith, then we can do these crazy things for the sake of the gospel. And he's saying, this is true. By faith, we can do the impossible. Do you believe this? Christianity at its very essence, if God is our creator, sustainer, provider, the giver of life, the raiser of the dead, then everything God did in the past, he's able to do in the present. Even through people like you and me. Do you believe this? Guys, if we don't believe this, then we might as well just... Pack it up and go home. If you do not believe that God can do the impossible, then Christianity, if you, if you don't believe that God is a God of miracles, then Christianity is all it is is a bunch of moral teachings. There's no gospel. There's no good news. There's no transformation. There's no hope of prayer. If all we're believing is that God is a natural God, just a little bit better than us, a little bit more moral, a little bit stronger than us. He's saying, this is what faith does. It believes that God can do the impossible. And it dares to believe. It dares to attempt, expect great things from God, and then to attempt great things for God. This is what we believe. Christianity at its heart. Stephen Larson, Peter Larson said this. He said, it's bracketed by impossibilities. That Jesus Christ entered the world through a door that said no entrance, the virgin's womb, and he exited the world through a door that was marked no exit. And no one had ever risen from the dead, not in the way that Jesus had done. And our God is a God of impossibilities. And here's what it means to live by faith. It's that we believe that these things are still possible in our day, in our time, in our age today. Do you believe this? Man, y'all look like you don't believe it. That's crazy. It's like, you for real? Let me tell you, the time I raised the dead, Right? Check this out. Some of you are newer, like, this guy's crazy. I'll tell you a story, okay? 
when Olivia and I first got married, uh, moved into our, not when we first moved, got married, but yeah, after a year of getting married, we moved into a house, and someone gifted us with a washing machine. A washing machine, digital washing machine, super cool. You didn't have to turn anything, you just push the buttons, and then it works. It's great. Think about this washing machine. It had been used, they'd used it, and they would get a new one, so they said, hey, you know, it's not perfect, but it still works. The problem with this washing machine, it worked okay, but the only thing is you could only set it on warm water <laughs> and only on medium water levels. You can't do high water, can't do low load, okay, only medium, right? So you have to have like medium-sized loads, and it can only be on warm water. So there are certain things that uh, shouldn't have shrunk ended up shrinking. But this is how the washing machine worked. It was very cool. So one time we're going away to a retreat, and we had somebody stay in our place, and they stayed at our place, and when they left... Come back from a retreat, we've got to do laundry. So we went to the laundry uh, machine, and there was a note on the laundry machine. It said, so sorry, we tried to use the laundry machine, but we broke it. I said, oh no, this is awful, this is terrible. We need clean clothes, this is bad. So I looked at it, pushed all these buttons, and nothing happened. Pushed all these buttons, and it was just a blank screen. So I said, okay, you know, this is, this is the extent of my technical knowledge. Just unplug it and plug it back in, and nine times out of ten, it'll work again. So I unplugged it, plugged it back in, uh, and nothing happened. I said, well, that's kind of strange. Usually it works. So unplugged it again, plugged it back in, and it, nothing worked. Pushing all these buttons, nothing happened. So I said, okay, I'm going to pray that this dead washing machine is going to come back to life. Okay? Here, and it, there's, it's not just, oh, yeah, I believe. There was this time where I had uh, maybe like a couple years before, I was preaching at this retreat, um, and there was this you know, bunch of these ladies, uh, these prayer, prayer, like, ah, fiery prayer ladies with wrinkled brows and, and, and really deep voices because they called out to God all the time. And this one lady prayed for me, and she said, you know what, Pastor, uh, God's going to use your hands to give life to people. I said, ah, praise the Lord. So when you pray for people, life is going to be given. I said, yes, amen, I receive it by faith. And so hearing these words, right, they're bouncing around in my, this neon sign in my mind, your hands are going to raise the dead. So I said, yes. So I laid my hands on this washing machine. I said, in the name of Jesus who raises the dead, the God of the impossible, bring this washing machine back to life in Jesus' name. Amen. So confident, right? This is what faith does. Believes God can do the impossible, even through flawed people like me. Yeah. So, amen. Pushed it, nothing happened. So, oh, no. Maybe, you know, it, it's middle of the day. A lot of people are praying. Lines are getting mixed up, busy signal. Let's, tr let's try again. Maybe God did it here. Pray a second time in the name of Jesus. Amen. Push the button. Nothing happens. Maybe now is the time to unplug it and plug it back in. So I unplugged it, plugged it back in, and this one thing flashed on, and then it went away. It said PF. I said, ooh, maybe it's coming back to life, right? Pray or fail first time or whatever it is. I don't know. So unplugged it, plugged it back in, push the button, nothing. Pray in the name of Jesus, blah, 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 blah. Push it, nothing happens. So I went to... I went to Google. I went to Google, and I, I typed in the exact model of my washing machine and typed in PF, and I read all of these forms, and I spent like 30 minutes reading these forms and said, when, what, er, you know, everything is fixable, but once PF comes up, it's done. It's impossible. Nothing can be done. I said, great. Well, that's deflating. Nothing can be done, but I still believe because this is what faith does, right? Yeah, come on. So I said, I laid hands on it again. In the name of Jesus, come back to life. Unplugged it, plugged it back in, PF, pushed the button, nothing. I was like, come on, God, 
Something's got to be, maybe uh, this is it. So I thought, to, I, literally, this is what I thought. I said, okay, this is like, it's like Jericho. I have to do it six times before it starts working, right? That's what I said. I said, the sixth time, and then the seventh time it's going to work. So I prayed six times, and literally seventh time, I placed my hands. I was like, God, this is it. I really believe in you. I believe you're going to do this because I know that you love clean clothes. So I put my hands on it. In the name of Jesus, come back to life. Push the button. Nothing. I was so deflated. I thought we serve a God of miracles. <laughs> he heals the sick and open blinded eyes. I said, Olive, uh, what are we going to do? <laughs> I said, do we have a warranty on this thing? How long can we go without a washing machine? She said, not very long. So I said, okay, tomorrow I'm going I'm to give in. I'm going to buy a home warranty, and then we'll get in a couple days of warranty. People come and fix it. I said, all right. I was going to sleep, and it's just like bothering me. God, did I have not have enough faith? What's going on? And so the next morning, I said, right before I call the warranty company, I'm going to do it again. I laid my hands on it. I said, in the name of Jesus, God, I, this is early. Only Korean people are praying this early. Come on, God, you got to do this. In the name of Jesus, bring this machine back to life. Amen. Push the button. Beep. And then all of a sudden, all this water started coming out into the laundry machine. I was like, oh, God, so I was running around, and I was dancing, and, and Olive and I were, 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 were jumping up and down. Yeah, how great is our God? And all this, yay, we're so excited, so excited. Yay, God healed and brought back our dead washing machine to life, and we're so excited about it. And the best part is that after that, it wasn't just medium, and it wasn't just warm, but we could adjust all of the different levels on it. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Because we believe in God. This is what he does. Faith believes that God can do the impossible, even through messed up people like us. Because he, not only does he say these things happen, but look at verse 32. He says, I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. And it's easy for us to gloss over these. But if you read the book of Judges, you'll understand that these first four people, and I don't have time to talk about all, but I'll talk about the first four. Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah were all judges written about in the time of the judges who all conquered foreign enemies. The Midianites, the Ammonites, the Canaanites, they conquered all of these different enemies. But what he doesn't say is that every one of these judges had some pretty serious flaws. Gideon was so insecure and so fearful that he didn't believe God could do it. In fact, when God called him, he said, God, you, you talking about me? <laughs> you talking about me? I'm the lowest, smallest person in the least of the clans of God's people. How are you going to use me? And when God says, I'm going to use you, he says, God, I'm not sure. Will you give me a sign? That was Gideon. Barak, this guy was such a wimp that he said, there was a, a woman named Deborah at the time, and Deborah said, you got to be the commander of the army. You're, you're going to do this. Here's a battle plan. I'm going to give it to you. This is what God said. You're going to conquer these people. And here's what Barak said. He said, I'll only do it if Deborah, if you come along, if you go with me. And she's like, well, because you did that, the glory's not going to go to you. It's going to go to a woman. That, that's Barak. Samson, you know Samson, he was a bad man. He couldn't control his appetites. He couldn't control his lusts. Jephthah, this guy was just plain stupid. He made this stupid, ridiculous vow. He says, you know, we say things sometimes that we don't mean to say. He made this stupid vow. They said, God, if you be with me, if you promise me victory, then here's what's going to happen. The first thing to walk out of my house, I'll offer to you as a burnt offering, thinking it was going to be an animal, but his daughter walks out of the house. 
Right? This guy, these, guys are, these guys are fatally flawed in so many different ways, and yet when it comes to it, they're not just talking about people that God used. This is the hall of faith here, the pinnacle of faith. Here's what he's saying. It doesn't matter. I know some of us have reasons why God can't use us. You see these lists all the time. Oh, you know what? I struggle with lust. So did David. He committed adultery. So did Samson. Oh, I can't, God can't use me. I struggle with anger. Moses killed a person and buried him in the sand. You think God can't use oh, My body is too weak. Timothy had ulcers. Oh, but my wife, though, she's crazy. She has a bad reputation. She's going to drag me down. Hosea married a prostitute. Whatever you think your dysfunction is, whatever you think your weakness is, God used Lazarus and dude was dead. Jonah ran away from God, yet God used him to bring revival. God uses flawed people like you and me. At the end of the day, God doesn't look at our flaws. He looks at our faith, and he says, that's what I will use in order to do the impossible if you would but believe in the God of Scripture, that he's able to do this. What's your impossibility? What's the impossible situation in your life that you looked up in Google and it said it's impossible? This is where faith begins to come in, and you begin to believe that God can do the impossible. Whatever he's done in the past, He's able to do because he's the same God. He's able to do today. He's able to do even through you. The question is, will you believe that? Will you believe that he can and that he's not just talking about a small group of people, at least talking about you, whose weakness turned to strength? In other words, the weakness is the very raw material that God uses. The very reason you think you should be disqualified is the very reason you are qualified to do the work of God. You get that? Crazy stuff, isn't it? Mind-blowing stuff, but this is how God works so that he'll get the glory. Your dysfunctions and flaws don't disqualify you from being used. These are the very things that communicate to a broken world that, hey, God can use a broken person like me, like you, in order to do impossible things. Right? This is what faith is. It believes that God can do the impossible, even through flawed people. The second thing, though, okay, here's the second thing, and this is a sobering part, that faith doesn't mean... You won't suffer, but faith will enable you to endure through that suffering. Okay, faith doesn't mean that you won't suffer, but it does mean that's what will enable you to get through the suffering. Let me ask you an important question here. If God indeed can do the impossible, right, through you, and you pray for somebody, maybe it's yourself, yeah, you've got a sickness, you've got an illness, right? you've got cancer in your body, and you pray, and God heals you. Another person got cancer at the same time as you, and they pray, and they remain with cancer. Okay, here's a very important question. Do you have more faith than the person whose cancer remains? In other words, two people, two people of faith, one of them gets healed from cancer. The other's cancer that was in remission returns to them. Does the person who does not have cancer any longer have more faith than the person who remains with cancer? The Bible is absolutely unequivocally, unequivocally clear that the answer is no. Right? That's not the indication. The fact that one gets well and the one doesn't is not an indication of the level of faith. You understand this? This is huge. Very important. Because in the same breath that he says, by faith God did the impossible through people like you and me, he says in that same breath, starting in verse 35, but here also is what happened through faith. Others who had faith were tortured and refused to be released. 
so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging. Some were chained, put in prison, stoned, sawed into, put to death by the sword, went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Saying both of these things happened by faith. The conquering of kingdoms and the raising of the dead, the, it, the, the, the being put into prison and being flogged and jeered, both of these things happen by the same faith that brings a person into the hall of faith. And this is sobering to those of us who think and those of us who've heard this message and to those preachers who say, if you follow Christ, then you'll be healthy and you'll have a lot of money and you won't have any cares. You name it, you claim it, and everything that you want from God is yours. That, that's not gospel teaching, not biblical gospel preaching. He says, here's the deal. By faith, sometimes you will endure hardship. Sometimes you will endure suffering. But by faith, you will be able to endure that in a way that you could not imagine was possible. Isn't that true? You sometimes think about people. You look at people, and I, I, I talked about this a few weeks back. Hey, you, you look at someone who's going through a hard time. Someone who went through persecution in prison and they were brought out. And you say, man, there's no way I could have gone through that. I don't know how, if I was put in that situation, I don't think I could do that or someone who endured some kind of sickness, or someone who went through the loss of, 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 of money, loss of jobs, loss of, loss of friends, loss of family members, and you said, man, I admire their faith. There's no way I could have gone through what they went through. Could I tell you that according to Scripture, the most probable reason why you don't think you could have gone through what you have not gone through is because you have not gone through that yet. That God gives a special dispensation of grace and faith to empower and strengthen you in your time of suffering that is not given to you when you don't need it. That God will give you what you need when you need it. This is a specific, timely, practical, personal aspect of grace and of faith that God gives to you in that time when you need it the most. And this is what he's saying. So here, faith is not shown in whether you get healed from your illness or whether you don't get healed from your illness, whether you get released from prison or you don't get released from prison. You know, this is, this is so close to home for so many of us because we have a family member in prison in North Korea, and we pray. My daughter, Manny, she prays for Reverend Lim, and she says, help him to get out of jail in North Korea. Release him. And sometimes she wonders, why isn't he coming out of jail? Why isn't he being released from prison? It doesn't mean that he nor anyone else who's praying for him lacks faith. I don't have all of the answers why, but I do know that it's faith that is enabling him to endure through the hardship and through that somehow a church is being raised up that is praying, that awareness is being brought about, that people are thinking about North Korea in a way that they haven't before and praying for that country and praying for people in a way that we haven't in years past. The, the great indication of faith is not whether our prayers get answered or not. The great indication of faith, at least according to one pastor, is this. It's even when things are going great that Christ is better than life. And even when things are going poorly that Christ is still better than life. The question of faith is, do you trust that God is good and that he's worthy no matter whether we're on the mountaintop or whether we're in the valley, whether we're in prison or we're in paradise? Do you believe that Christ indeed is good enough and worthy enough of your worship and of your life and of your trust and of your faith, even if and no matter what is going on in your life? Because in verse 34, in the same breath that it says, in verse 34, it says, they escaped the edge of the sword. In verse 37, it says they were put to death by the sword, by the same faith. By the same faith. Faith does not mean that our life will be devoid of suffering. 
but it does mean that God will give us by faith what we need to endure in that suffering. In life or in death, is Christ worthy of our lives? In death or in life, is Jesus better than anything that this world can give to us, than anything that this world can take to us, than anything that this world can do to us? Is Christ Jesus enough for you? That's the question of faith. It's a question of faith. And unless we, you know, I know some people would rather me not talk about this. Let's just gloss over this. But if I were to do that, I would be crippling your faith. And I would be the most unloving pastor to not talk about the sober realities of what it is to walk by faith in Christ. My uh, daughter, Manny, loves, uh, she loves cheerleaders. She loves cheerleaders. She likes to dance. The first time we went to a Magic basketball game, the Orlando Magic, she didn't care about the players. She was a little bit enamored with Stuff the Magic Dragon, but really what she loved the most were the cheerleaders. And so she pleaded, Daddy, can I take a picture with her? So we did, and then she had all these questions. Where did she get her costume from? Why does everyone have the same costume? Where did she learn to dance so well? Why do they dance together in the same way? Why are they so good at dancing? She was like four years old at the time. All of these questions about cheerleaders. She's drawn to them. In a, in a similar way, when I was young, I was drawn to cheerleaders as well. For, not, for a different reason, not what you're thinking. Not what you're thinking. When, uh, when I was doing youth ministry, we had a... Uh, I think an eighth grader in our youth ministry. Now he's like all grown up and big. His name is Ryan Lee, and he was a football player, peewee football player in those, uh, in those junior leagues. And uh, he was a star in the leagues, running back, scored all these touchdowns, and he was like the, the MVP of his team, super good. I remember watching one of his games. His team was the, the Dolphins, and uh, they were, I think it was a playoff game. Uh, their team was, well, he, Ryan had scored a touchdown. He got hurt, and he, their team was losing 34-8 to because he, he wasn't in the game. And uh, people on the sidelines, like his teammates, uh, one of them, this, like, little, like, pudgy guy, really cute, he was, like, talking so much. He was like, man, this game stinks, and I'm not, coach, can I go home now? And this is so boring and all this stuff. And, and other people on the team were like, yeah, go home. We don't want you here. You're bad attitude, bad apple, go home. And, and all these people are, like, talking, and parents are, are looking at the clock, like, when are we going to go home? This is, like, not very exciting. The referees are like, this is no game. This is awful. And everyone was like, man, the Dolphins are terrible. Whether they were saying that out loud or they were thinking that, I was thinking it after Ryan left. I mean, the Dolphins are terrible. But this group of little fifth and sixth grade cheerleaders, even with, like, a minute left in the game, losing 34 to 8 with all of their might, were throwing their arms and legs and pom-poms in the air. Go, Dolphins, you're the best. You can do it. You're the champions. I'm like, no, they ain't. Man, it's 34 to 8. They're getting spanked. They're getting slaughtered. How can you say that? Because that's what faith does. Okay, faith doesn't mean your team's not going to lose, but it does mean that when your team seems like it's losing, that you're still going as forcefully and faithfully in cheering as if you were winning 34 to 8. And this is what faith does. Even when it looks like we're not doing well, we still say, God, you're the best. We believe. We trust. 
you're awesome, the God of the impossible. We cling to you. We walk with you. We run with you. We go with you until we see you face to face. And then 10,000 years and then forevermore. This is what faith does. Hey, faith doesn't mean we're not going to suffer. But it does mean that he will give us what we need to endure that suffering when it comes to that point in time. That's the second thing. Last thing, faith. By faith, okay, faith turns no namers on earth into hall of famers in heaven where the faithful will have no regret. No namers on earth become hall of famers in heaven. In that place, those who remain faithful will have no regret and get to the other side. Verse 38, and I love this phrase, the world was not worthy of them. I think of people like that and people in our lives that have gone on before us, people who gave their lives in faith. The world's just not worthy of them. And sometimes you see something where there's like on, a, you know, America's Got Talent, American Idol or whatever it is. Someone sings and does this routine that just blows you away and we're not worthy. <laughs> we're not worthy. Or, or someone gets a rebound on the basketball court and they, they weave through traffic and do all of these things. They throw it off the backboard and do a, do a 360 degree dunk and, and the crowd goes wild and they're running out on the court and they say, we're not worthy. We're not worthy. Here's what it's saying. Some people, because of their faith in Christ, the world bows down and it says, we're not worthy. We're not worthy to be in your presence. And it says here, the hall of faith, there are people like that. The world was not worthy of who are these people? Verse 35, here are their names. Women, others, they. Verse 36, some, others. 37, they, 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 they. Verse 38, the world was not worthy of them. Who are these people? We won't know till we join the ransomed in glory. Because even though the earth does not know their names, and the world never applauded them and never put them on headlines in USA Today or Washington Post or New York Times or whatever, Orlando Sentinel. The final judgment is going to come, and the final verdict is going to come by a God who sees all and knows all. Would you rather be famous on earth or be famous in heaven? Have everyone applaud you on this earth and say, you did all of these amazing, amazing things. We love you. We applaud you. You are the best. Or would you rather have no name and be anonymous on earth in order that all of heaven could know you and applaud you and recognize who you are? Would you rather have your name plastered all over the walls of the most prestigious colleges and universities and big four companies and Fortune 100 companies or would you rather live your life in faith, quietly, for the glory of God, so that you might be a headliner in heaven? Because here, when you get to heaven, the faithful will have no regret, have no regret. Because God sees everything, everything that you do, that you wish to be recognized for on this earth, that nobody called you on. God sees that. You know, as parents, we, we tell our kids, we see everything, right? And oftentimes we catch them doing things that they ought not do. But good parenting says we need to catch them doing good things too. 
And so we do this thing in our home where we catch our kids doing something good. <laughs> Little Elise, and she's used to stepping on things and messing things up, but sometimes she does some really good things. And so she'll do, do, do something, and, and so we'll say, Elise, Elise, come over here, come over here. And she'll walk over like, what did I do, what did I do? And I'll grab her wrist, and I'll have this, like, award ceremony. Say, and the winner for the best helper, the best cleaner-upper goes to, and then I look around for dramatic pause and dramatic suspense, Elise Kim, and I raise her hand, and she's so excited. She jumps up and down, and she says, yay, and she jumps up and down. She's so excited because she knows that what she's done, she thought it was invisible, but it was seen. And it was rewarded. And the Bible says that God is going to do that for us too, according to everything that you have done. Every time you went into your closet and you prayed and nobody saw and nobody knew what you were doing, and then a miraculous thing happens in our church and people are like, what happened? You know that you prayed, but nobody else knows. But you're content to rest in the smile of God. Because I see that. I saw that. I saw what you did. That time when you went and you stopped on the side of the road where that person's car broke down and you helped them even though you need to get somewhere else and you got yelled at by your spouse because she was like, the food's getting cold. Where were you? And you don't want to steal that reward in heaven. But you know that you helped somebody and you shared the hope of Christ with them. Hey, you know what? I don't need to be recognized on earth. God sees the things that I do. All those moments you spend praying for your youth ministry students, those times you go, to their, you go to their concerts and nobody ever puts a picture on Instagram so no one knows all the things you're doing, God sees that. He sees that. Is that enough of a reward for you? Because he will reward those who've been faithful to him. And at the end, in verse 39, these were all commended for their faith yet none of them received what had been promised because God's got something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. We're going to see. We're going to see that it's never a waste to live by faith in Christ no matter what the world says, no matter what people say. Why are you giving so much time, so much money, so much sacrifice? It's never a waste when you give it to the Lord God. He sees it all. He sees it all. And one day, one day you'll see and the only regret will not be how much you gave, but how little we gave. That's going to be our regret. This missionary named, uh, I think, Robert Morrison, he spent 40 years in Africa. He and his wife were finishing up their term, and they're riding the ship back from Africa. And he thought to himself, will there be anyone to greet us at New York Harbor when we get back? 40 years, I mean, this is years ago, before internet, before, you know, all that stuff, TV. Will anyone remember us? Anyone remember the things that we've given? 40 years of missionary service. Unbeknownst to them, uh, President Teddy Roosevelt was on that same ship, gone on a hunting expedition in the jungles of Africa. So he was there as well. And as Morrison was asking that question, they docked in New York, and he looked out the window, and he saw this massive ticker tape, welcome, welcome home. 
these, these people blowing their book, these things that come out like this, and balloons and all of this stuff, confetti. And he looked at his wife and said, look, they remembered. Someone remembered. Took a while to get off the cruise ship or that boat, whatever it was, and they're one of the last ones off. He was so excited. But this strange kind of silence as he was getting closer to the edge of the boat, and as he got to the door and he looked out, he realized that all the banners and all the signs were gone. He said, what happened? Where did they all go? That night he went to his hotel room and he was so discouraged, so dejected, so disappointed, so distraught. He said to his wife, I can't believe it. We come home after 40 years and nobody remembers us, nobody welcomes us, nobody cares about us. She sat down on the bed next to him, she put his, her arm around him, said, remember, honey, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. Brothers and sisters in this life, you will never be home yet. You'll never be home yet. One day you will be. One day you will be, and then we, with the ransomed in glory, at last his face we'll see, will be our joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. And at that time, not only the fit man, but to, to look upon the face of the one who gave his life in payment for you, to look upon the welcoming arms of Jesus and to realize and to know it's him because he's got the nail scars in his hands. To look at his feet and to see the places where his feet were nailed and you say, wherever you send me to go, my feet will follow the crucified one. Wherever your hands place me to touch in order to bring life, my hands will follow the one whose nail-pierced hands will one day call me home. When we get to the other side, guys, there will never be a regret that any sacrifice we made for God was worth it. In fact, when we get to the end and we see him, I'm going to say, what sacrifice? What sacrifice? It was all a pleasure for the sake of Christ. So until we get there and until that day, we walk by faith and not by sight until we see him face to face. Let's pray. You feel like giving up sometimes. You feel like the call, the burden is too heavy for you. Remember, my friends, you're not home yet. <laughs> you're not home yet. God sees every tear that falls. He sees every seed that you sow. He sees every prayer that you pray. Everything you do, he sees, and nothing is wasted. Let's pray to the Lord God. Let's ask him for the grace and the faith that we need in order to persevere. Maybe some of you are going through hard times, going through times of suffering, going through times of hardship and challenge. You haven't messed up. In fact, it may be that God is allowing you to go through this so that faith might be exercised so that you can endure well for the glory of God. Maybe others of us, there's an impossible situation in your life that you really have given up on. Felt like, you know what? It's impossible. Can hope arise again? 
Can faith be resurrected again? Let's pray. Let's pray for the persecuted church. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. Let's pray for Reverend Lim in North Korea. Let's pray. Let's exercise faith now in prayer as we respond to the word of God, whatever way you need to do that. We're going to come to this table of grace in just a moment. So for a short time, right? for a short time, you don't need to pray long now if you're going to pray a long time on your own. So let this be a down payment, a deposit prayer that will be continued in the secret place. Let's pray for a minute with faith. One minute prayer, every one minute prayer, God hears. 60 seconds, God hears that. He loves it. Pleasing aroma to him. 60 second prayer can change the world. 60 second prayer can change a life. Right, let's pray faithfully for a minute. And we're gonna pray for one more thing as we prepare to come to this table. Let's pray together. As we prepare to come to this table of grace, if you are eligible to come, means you've uh, trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, and you have been baptized as an adult or confirmed your faith as an adult. For all of us, let's prepare our hearts. First Corinthians says, we come to the table of grace in a manner worthy of the gospel. It doesn't mean perfection, but it's about our direction. We're facing Christ, we face in the world. We're facing the world. Repentance is turning to face Christ. So, Lord, I not only do that now, but I make a choice to follow after you because of grace. Let's pray. Pray for half a minute, preparing our hearts. Lord, change my heart. Make me true. Make me clean. Make me pure in heart. I surrender to you my sins for your win that I might be transformed. Lord, take me as I am. Let's pray for, for half a minute, and then we'll continue to minister the Lord's Supper. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that we walk by faith and not by sight. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to do that, that faith would not just be something in our head or in our hearts, but it would be something that we live out for the glory of God, for the joy of many people, and for a testimony that points to the greatness of our God. We thank you. We love you, Jesus, because you've loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name.